And welcome back to the Plugin for More podcast. Today we're going to talk about the Model 3 Highland update, which is a massive change for Tesla. And we're going to talk a little bit about something I got in the mail I've been really excited about. And then also talk about Tesla supercharging. And we have a special guest, so listen in for that guest a little bit later. Welcome to Plugin for More, brought to you by EVUniverse.com. EV Universe is your one-stop shop for all things related to the electric vehicle. Here on this podcast, our goal is to educate, inspire, and hopefully make your transition into the electric vehicle marketplace a lot less intimidating. And now, here are your hosts, Mike, Tom, and Bryant. Tom, what is your first impressions of the Tesla Highland update for the Model 3? I really like it. I think it's a step in the right direction. There's a lot of little creature comforts they added, um, which I think are really cool that kind of up the game for the Model 3 to get it still in that entry-level space, but it kind of taps into that luxury that you come to expect from the X and the S and to be competitive with the other vehicles that are in that platform. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, when I always first saw it come out, obviously the exterior changes are not that much different, right? You've got some different headlights, different taillights. Overall, the shape is pretty much the same. It's not a huge departure from what you're used to with Tesla and the Model 3, but their sales have been you know, not going as crazy with the Model 3 as they have with the Model Y. And then you, the, I think the big changes you're going to see on, their, on the interior. So you've got more sustainable products in the interior. Um, I think it's a more modern interior as well. Um, the biggest thing was the, the quality and the fit and finish that really, I think of the quality of materials really brings it up to the, the X and the Y or X and S, um, and the quality of the Mercedes and the BMW manufacturers. Listeners of the podcast know that I'm typically more subdued in my, what I like for appearance and something more understated. I really like ambient lighting and the, one of the photos I've seen of the interior of this car has an ambient lighting strip that goes all the way around to the dash, around to the front, more like a spaceship type cockpit. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. One thing that I did notice, there was a, a post on Twitter of one of the first, um, first actual drives of, of the Highland vehicle hmm. and, you know, the new Model 3. And what I thought was pretty surprising is with the ambient lighting and the dash, the way it curves around. And if you haven't seen a picture of it, take a look. Uh, but it actually is reflecting off the windshield pretty severely. And hopefully it's just a, you know, really depends on the lighting and it's kind of a, just a one-off scenario at certain times of day. Um, and I get a little bit of that in the Rivian, but this is, it was pretty pronounced. Maybe there's some camera tricks involved. I'm really hoping um, that Tesla would have caught that. But yeah, I yeah. mean, that, that's something that I'm a little bit, li- little bit shocked by when I first saw that picture. And the, the big thing here where we're burying the lead is the roughly 10% range increase of the car as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a big deal. It really that's is. Cool. I mean, every, every little bit matters. Um, one other thing that was pretty interesting too, which people have been complaining about for a while with Tesla's a long, long time is the, um, you know, blind spot monitoring. And so there's now a little, um, indicator where you'd expect it to be. And, uh, so when you're looking over, you know, to, to uh, make a lane change, you can see if someone's in your blind spot or not without, you know, crack, you know, uh, moving your, your neck quite a bit and getting uncomfortable doing it. So that I think is a, a pretty good update there too. And the only other thing I think that people will love, at least the backseat people will love, is he's got a LCD screen for the backseat now to control HVAC stuff. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a definitely an improvement. 
So overall, I think it's a winner. I think when you have, you know, the, especially the, the quietness update that or the improvements in the, in the overall, um, you know, just road noise and how it's much quieter. It's more, uh, keen to a, a, um, Mercedes or BMW, which is what people are expecting that price range. I think if it's really that quiet and the fit and, fit, fit and finish is there, the reasons for getting away from, from not going into Tesla have diminished severely. So you talk about getting this package in the mail, which I'm assuming isn't the type of ca- type of package that comes in a discrete packaging. No. More? No. Okay. No, it was actually, actually it was kind of discrete. Um, it didn't have Rivian all over it, but I did get the Rivian, um, manual tonneau cover so my rivian truck did not come with the autom- automatic tonneau cover which is a really cool thing um for for the owners and the you know the early owners that got those t- you know rivian had a lot of issues with those and so they stopped producing them while they were figuring out some of the mechanics and making some changes to it so in the meantime there was the manual manual uh, tonneau cover that came out and then they had to you know, make some changes there i've had the truck for almost a year now I just got it in the mail. And I ordered it with the truck. So I'm really excited to put it on. However, it's downpouring right now. And so I'm going to have to just sit and stare at it for a little bit until I can get outside and put that on the truck. Maybe I'll get wet. We'll see. Well, I mean, the town cover is made to get wet and you're not going to melt. So go do it. No, I might. It's it's happened before. So we'll, we'll see. <laughs> um. We didn't make fun of Brian for not being here. We can. So, are we sure that he didn't just retire and that he's not? He's just unemployed somewhere. I mean, it definitely could happen. I mean, we should check on him. Well, in any case, um, yeah. You know, besides if Brian's going to be here or not, we need to you know invite our guest and talk to our guest today, Edwin, who has a lot of experience with Tesla and Tesla superchargers, helped you know with those installations over the years, and then. You know, obviously with this new business. So let's move to that conversation. You're listening to the Plug In For More podcast. If you're looking for information on electric vehicles, electric vehicles components, or information on how to reduce your carbon footprint, look no further than EVUniverse.com. EVUniverse.com is your one-stop shop for all things related to electric vehicle. Uh, we're joined today with Edwin Shao. Uh, he is a former senior project developer for Tesla Supercharging Network. And he's here to talk to us today about his experience with Tesla and what he has going forward for the future of the charging infrastructure for the country. Edwin, thank you. Uh, thanks so much, Tom, for having me on your show. Can you just dive in and tell us about yourself and your backstory and what, what brings you to where you're at today? So um, coming out of grad school, went to engineering school, um, studied construction management and uh, you know civil engineering, uh, came out working in real estate development for about five years. Um, then after, after in New York City, you know, got to know the real estate and construction industry pretty well. Um, had a 120 room housing company for international students as well. You know, grew that from scratch. And then one, you know, so I have like an entrepreneur uh, and technical background. What happened is there's an opportunity to work for Tesla and still stay in New York City rather than in California. So they have like a nine, they're, they're sort of slow on certain things and fast on a lot of things that, so they had like a nine interview process over the course of like four months with negotiations and such like that. Um, before I landed the job in 2017 with, with Tesla. And this is at the start 
of um, the supercharging network. It's still relatively in its infancy at that point. And they wanted someone to basically help grow it for the entire Northeast. So, you know, it's a small team, uh, I would say in total for the entire Northeast, around nine people, you know, maybe less at that time. And uh, that's that's how we were working back then. So I guess what I would like to do is we're jump around timeline a little bit, but I'd like to start with what is the current state of the charging charging infrastructure for the country? I think that the current state of the charging infrastructure, um, from my opinion, and prior to Tesla, I had looked into this. I had reached out to other charging station companies back then. And I basically, initially, my thought process was because charging speeds are so slow, we need as much fast chargers as possible. So that's my initial assumption. Um, a CEO of another charging station company at that point, before I worked for Tesla, came back to me and said, no, I think that um, we should have more home charging, a level two charging, instead of having um, all these fast chargers out on the highways. And that emphasis should be on that. Um, I think there's a lack of infrastructure everywhere. I think money's being thrown everywhere um, right now to basically increase the amount of charging stations. I think that there's there's multiple areas I see of weakness. The first area I see of weakness, because now I own an electrical engineering and contracting company, there's a lack of electrical talent out there. So you have a lot of people that are not naturally trained from university or from trade school to do electrical work, whether it is design work, whether it is actual electrical work. You have a lot of people that have basically, as a result of the lack of talent, you know, people like me, for example, with engineering backgrounds, but basically had to get into electrical, um, you know, later on and then basically adjust to it. I mean, I did end up going back to study electrical engineering for, for a couple of years um, well, while I was at Tesla at night, but, but nonetheless, um, you have people that are later in their career adjusting to these positions. Gotcha. I, I think that, that that's like one of the things that no one really talks about is you're, we're trying to throw money everywhere. Let's put as much charging stations as possible. But you don't have the, we don't have the talent there. That's one of the big issues I see. You don't have the labor force for design, labor force for construction, labor force for management. And you're, we're just trying to make do with it because it's been such a ignored problem for so long. Now they did step back to when you started Tesla doing the supercharging projects back in 2017. You're there for four years. What sort of vision and dream did you guys have in 2017? And were those expectations met going forward? Yeah, sure. So 2017, we're just trying to build anywhere, you know, whereas like it didn't matter. We would pay rent. We would um, basically just give landlords like really good deals because just to get the, it's like any startup, just get movement, you throw money at it, or you throw time. And they were throwing time and money. You know, I remember guys would just drive around all the time and basically, um, you know, knock on doors to try to get small landlords to, um, you know, convince them that electrical cars will be feasible. I obviously didn't do that. I, I'm smarter than that. I, I, I just go to public records. I'm not dumb enough to drive around like all those guys. But, you know, nonetheless, you had guys that do that. So, um, so yeah, so, so there's that, that element of it where you're just basically, 
it was like a sort of like a land grab that we, we say as this term where you're trying to compete against the charge points, compete against um, other uh, companies like EVgo to basically get the mall real estate, get the good real estate, the cheap construction real estate was what I would try to go after, but people are just, you know, just trying to, you know, make deals like with, you know, like gas station companies eventually became like a big thing where we were like partnering up with Bawa, Loves, um, and other type of, you know, those type of uh, gas station uh, companies. So we, we didn't really know what we were doing. We were just like, okay, let's try to at least get more chargers out there. We had no metrics. We're just testing things out and seeing what works. What sort of pitfalls did you guys run into besides acquiring property? Were there any other issues that you came into that maybe the layperson listening right now wouldn't necessarily anticipate? Yeah, we didn't know what the heck we were doing back then. We just, you know, like it was basically came out of a marketing budget, um, the supercharging team. And even on our teams, we didn't have electrical engineers, really. You know, we had engineers, we didn't have electrical engineers, and here's a problem to solve. And everyone had a, their own different style of, of doing everything. I would say that electrical feasibility was, was a big challenge. Like, some of the stuff in electric you could learn, but electrical feasibility. So you have to find sites which, and now I'm just focused on talking about level three supercharging network, where you have every site. You don't have electrical capacity. You have to build. You have to work with utilities. You have to uh, talk to the townships. You have to stand before the townships and just you know give reasons why it makes sense. And you know you have to be a public person, and you know you have to affect policy somewhat in every uh, municipality. So that that I would say were also issues. Now, like obviously negotiations with landlords that probably took a bulk of the time, but then. The design phase, um, you know, just getting before towns for them to approve of this because a lot of these you have to go through uh, planning commissions, so zoning officers for towns. So that that was um, you know interesting for just go up there, you know, all all dressed up as I usually am, guy from New York City, you know, go to these like villages in upstate New York and stuff like that, and um, you know try to create some sense of calm. For these people that hey we're not here to try to take over your town we're just here to provide charging stations you see a lot of people just voicing their opinions oh you know now big companies are coming in um and now they're they're going to you know whatever nefarious ways we're gonna do stuff and the fears of what if you know like uh cars explode randomly like you know how are we gonna be able to deal with that you know what happens with the the, the electrical fires and things like of that nature. During your time there, did any cars catch on fire or explode? I'm sure they did, but not at our sites, you know, and I'm sure they did, you know, just because, you know, there are so many cars out there, but I think it's probably much less than combustible engine cars, um, which also catch on fire. Right. Right. You know, it's not as newsworthy. if like a, a Ford catches on fire. Yeah. And, and we know from our own reporting here on the show, you know, a, a gas car is 60 times more likely to catch on fire than an electric vehicle. But like, it's just one of those anecdotal things where I'm sure there's so much pushback at those meetings that you went to that people thought cars were going to catch on fire, but it's unfounded. And it's just an interesting point to hit across. 
looking forward, I know that your new role with the company you're in with electrical contracting has a, a an interest in growth and the betterment of the electric charging infrastructure. Where do you see us heading? couple things. Uh, first thing is government policy needs to be the initial lever for to be the impetus for all these things and government policy done right. Um, so, for example, in New York State, you had uh, NYSERDA, which is, um, you know, they're an arm in New York State, which promoted subsidy programs or, you know, out of the Volkswagen, like, a, you know, fund, you know, where they had a penalty fund. Um, they promoted that. And then, you know, a lot of chargers came out as a result. Now you have, um, you know, some federal funds that are coming out as well for the fast charging uh, networks. Um, and you continue to have more subsidies for, in California, I'm working on some projects there where they have subsidies, um, you know, in Mountain View and in other smaller locations. You know, I've worked for some fleet providers like Avis, which also somehow they're getting subsidies. So policy is influencing a lot of this um, demand. So I see, um, I see at the, you know, for the, I could give you a immediate short-term and long-term of, you know, what I see. So in the immediacy, I see there being a lot of headaches as people throw money at this problem and people are not going to get it right, right away. So for example, I was just in Hong Kong for a month with my wife and one of our, um, you know, my, my college friends, um, he's, you know, he's involved in a pretty decent sized company there. And, um, he was telling me that, you know, there's these government subsidy programs here. Would you be interested in, you know, joining, you know, maybe like, you know, working on it together somehow. And so I look into it and there, the policy there is saying we have a quarter billion US dollars, right? About um, 2 billion Hong Kong dollars. And you, we're, we're going to electrify your buildings. We're going to pay for the cost of the installation, the cost of, you know, the chargers, right? And yeah. uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. 30,000 Hong Kong dollars each, uh, each charger, something like that. 30, I think it was 30,000 or 60,000. Uh, yeah, 36,000 Hong Kong dollars per. But the only condition is that you can't electrify just one spot. You have to electrify all the spots in the buildings. In the high density places like Hong Kong, New York City, you're talking about 200 units minimum. Yeah. Now for at 20 amps, you know, that's 80,000 amps, you know, then, you know, at, at 28 volts. And also you're not allowed to have some sort of load diversification device where it's basically like, you know, you could load share. Okay. So, so here we are, you know, so I look at it and I'm like, this can't be done, you know, and I look at the projects that were done and they're really, really small buildings that can't be done. So that's an example of how policy wanted to influence, but how policy, you know, cannot influence it correctly without having like people to tell them how this can't work. So you have all this money, which is allocated for, you know, the electrification, you know, for the future, uh, electric car owners, but what's going to happen in Hong Kong is they're going to realize it actually can't be done. And all these people 
that are expecting all these charges to be in place so that they would buy electric cars are going to have to be forced to buy their own car charger and get it installed on a one-on-one -on -one level versus doing these bigger projects. So I would say as a future EV car owner, what you must do is check with your property management company to see what the impending plans are for installing a home charger. That's the first thing I would do, right? And most of the time, their plans are going to be crap. It won't make sense. They're not going to have a smart guy to really tell them, you know, like short, medium, and long-term plans. So like, first thing you need to do, talk with your, if you live in a condo, you live in a rental building, talk with the property manager, see what's the immediacy to get home charging. Because home charging, the difference between home charging and supercharging would be the difference between paying for a 100 kilowatt hour car, $12 or $40 for 330 miles. Okay. So, you know, you're talking about 75% savings here, you know? So, because the, I, I think about a different bear, a different metric than most people. I think about the cost of home charging versus the cost of gas versus the cost of supercharger in regards to cost of uh, gas. Because you're not going to supposed to use a supercharging network every day. You're supposed to use that only for, for travel routes. Or if you don't have a home charger at home. Now, if you have a home charger at home, you get it installed for, let's say, 2000 bucks you know, permitted and everything, of course. Now you have access to cheap electrical for the duration of your car. That's the most important thing is getting home charging installed at your house. doesn't matter about what everyone else does because you're not going to be traveling more than really 200 miles a day. You know, if you have, if you're dependent on one car, if you're doing road trips and stuff like that, just rent a car, right? Just be smart rent a car or, or do something else, you know, if, if you have that fear. But I would say that if I am a, so if I am a potential electric car owner, um, how I would do it is I would, um, yeah, first ask the property manager and then think of what's my use going to be for this car? Is it for road trips primarily, or is it going to be for day to day? For day to day, like home charging suffices. If you're a road trip type of guy, and you want to use electric car, it's awesome. Why not? But in the, in the same regard, your your fears of having to stop, let's say, um, you know, every you know two hundred fifty miles and having to fill up, um, and then waiting like instead of you know five minutes, ten minutes, you're waiting, let's say, you know half, you know, like twenty minutes to thirty minutes. That that is a legitimate you know concern. But what are your thoughts around Ford, GM, I think Rivian have all announced that they're going to be adopting the NACS standard and abandoning that CCS combo. How do you think that plays into this? I think that now you're going to have three different types of ports. You have even more ports and there's more separation. All right. But in the same regard, if you think about it, the issue only arises for level three charging. It doesn't arise for level two charging because you have all these mini, all these adapters that come into play. Right. Right. So you don't really need for level two charging anything except just like an aftermarket adapter, you know, mm -hmm. whatever it is. Um, obviously, you all listed. Now, for 
what they're doing that for is going to be for the highway charging infrastructure networks is they're trying to privatize it that way. Um, I think they're probably, I, my intention, my guess is their intentions are um, now to focus on selling their cars and basically promoting their cars that way versus like, you know, Porsche, I, I, I heard, you know, they they want, you know, to create like some sort of network as well. All these German cars, all these European cars. So you're going to have, now you're going to have like Japanese cars, German cars, and the American cars competing for different fast charging networks. I think that that's, and, and Tesla, I think that, you know, that's where, again, policy needs to push them with incentives to just get together and work on it together. Um, that'll probably happen in the long term somehow. You know, but in the immediacy, I just see that as being, you know, a little bit more of a headache. Like, you know, because you're, you're, it's like basically branding your site as, hey, I'm a Ford charging uh, site or I'm a Tesla's charging site. And there's not enough electrical infrastructure out there. So, you know, all these stupid guys who with marketing backgrounds that are, you know, thinking of this stuff, you know, they need to get more engineers involved. Edwin, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate the time and you sharing your wisdom and expertise on the, the supercharging. Um, tell us where people can find you and uh, for any of the further information. Sure. Um, my email for anyone on this podcast, if you have any questions, please email me at edwin at electricbrainlab.com. And my Instagram is electricbrainlab. So it should be easier to reach me. Any questions, things of that nature, design questions, construction questions, um, any electrical questions uh, could be reached at me there. That's my personal website. Perfect. And I will make sure all of those pieces get into the show notes for this episode so people can check that out there and find you directly from our show notes. Awesome. Great. Thanks, Edwin. All right. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Plug In For More. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, check out the one-stop EV marketplace, eVuniverse.com. Until next time.